What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined this week by Dr. Michael Collins. So Dr. Collins is a clinical neuropsychologist, and he is the clinical and executive director of the UPMC Sports Medicine Concussion Program. He and his team have been instrumental in the development of numerous concussion management programs for youth, collegiate, and professional sports leagues and teams. And he's actually currently a consultant for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Pittsburgh Penguins as well. So, you know, if I'm being honest, the very topic of concussions in sport can be a bit of a hot button issue. (laughs) You know, and to that end, honestly, I'd be lying if I hadn't personally thought about, you know, what is the impact some of the concussions that I've sustained, uh, you know, in football over the years had on my own well-being, past, current, future. You know, it's concerning. And so I, I think that's the point is that there is and uh, maybe even to a greater extent was so much we just didn't and don't understand about the impact concussions have on the brain. So what I really enjoyed about this conversation is to get to hear from one of the foremost experts in the field, a straightforward account of where we are today. And, uh, you know, so by no means required, but he also happens to be on the front lines working directly with everyone and anyone from professional athletes to the general public to help recover from these head traumas and injuries. So he does a great job today. He explains what a concussion actually is, dispels some of the common myths. And he talks about how, and this is what I thought was maybe among the most interesting things, is that really a concussion can be rehabbed similar to any other physical injury. So this one was jam-packed with aha moments and new realizations, uh, and I trust you're going to get a lot out of this one. So to that end, if you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a rating and a review and make sure to follow us on whichever platform you're listening to. It goes a long way, and we certainly appreciate it. And it would not be right if I didn't wrap up this intro with a big thank you to Frank Spino, who made this introduction possible. So thank you again, Frank. One of my favorite conversations we've had. And without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Collins to the show. All right, here we go. We Dr. Collins, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Excited. Uh, we were just catching up. You're you're actually somewhat in, in my backyard out in Pittsburgh. So uh, <laughs> what, three hours away, four hours away, something like that. You know what? People don't appreciate how big of a state Pennsylvania actually is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is no joke getting from east to west. When you drive on the highway or interstate, it's like it says Williamsport for like 80 miles. I've noticed <laughs> that. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I have. I have noticed that. I have noticed that. Um, well, I'm really excited uh, about having this conversation. We were introduced um, by a mutual friend, Frank Spino. Thank you, Frank. And uh, yeah, I, I'm so fascinated by the work that your team is doing. Um, and as a former college football player, I'd be lying if I said this wasn't something that was top of mind. You know, what sort of impact uh, and lasting impact do concussions have on people who've sustained them? Um, but maybe a great place to start, you know, I, I get the sense, um, and some of this is just based on, you know, my own experience, but in talking to other people, it seems like there's a lot of existing either misconceptions or misunderstandings as to what a concussion actually is. Um, could we just open it up by you kind of defining like what a concussion actually is? Yeah, the, the word concussion or concussus <clears throat> literally translates from Latin to English to mean to shake violently. Hmm. And think about your brain as like an egg inside an eggshell. Uh, and the brain is encased in cerebral spinal fluid. And if there's enough biomechanical force, um, either linear or rotational force, the brain's going to shift inside the skull. No matter how good your helmet is, the brain hmm. moves inside the skull. And if the brain moves violently enough, um, everyone on this podcast will hopefully know what a neuron is. So we have billions and billions of neurons in our brain. There's more neurons in our brain than there are stars in the sky, uh, literally. And what causes concussion is when the brain moves in the skull, the membrane to the neuron will stretch. And this little chemical called potassium, which is supposed to be inside the cell or neuron, Hmm. will get leaked out into the extracellular space. And when potassium goes outside of the cell, there's an increased demand for glucose or energy. It's called hyperglycolysis. So the, the, the cell's demanding more energy. 
And at the same time, this little chemical called calcium, which is supposed to be outside the cell, will leak yeah. across that stretch membrane and go into the cell. And when calcium goes in, we get uh, constriction of our blood vessels, vasoconstriction. Hmm. And at the very time we need more energy, we actually get reduced cerebral blood flow and less supply of it because blood supplies energy to the brain. And at the end of the day, all concussion is, is this energy crisis that causes the cells to not work as efficiently as they should. And what we've now learned is that there's different systems in the brain that can decompensate from that energy problem. And we've actually learned now that there's different types of concussions. There's actually six different types. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Could we, could we, well, and, and, you know, I, uh, I, I've heard, read and heard a little bit that like plaque buildup um, can be one of the contributing factors to long-term effects. Is that accurate? I, I noticed we, uh, that we don't know yet. Um, hmm. There's a lot of mis. What you're going to hear from me today is that yeah. I feel concussion is a highly treatable injury. I, I really believe that if you come to come to our clinic, or if you go to a specialty clinic, um, there are treatments that can be applied that treat these problems, and you don't have hmm. to live with these symptoms and difficulties. Hmm. And really the best way to prevent problems with concussion is to manage it effectively when you have one yeah. and to make sure that the injury is resolved before one goes back to playing gets hit again. And, and, and that's easier said than done because of awareness. Yeah. And, but the reality is, is this is, this is a treatable injury. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. That's one of those misconceptions that you brought up earlier. Yeah. Um, everyone, I mean, I think there's a lot of sort of confusion out there about this injury and hopefully I can set the record straight on some of these things today. No, that'd be great. And, and maybe uh, I cut you off a little bit there, but this might be a great dovetail into those, um, you know, better defining the six types of concussions. Yeah, um, so because- there, there literally are six different types of problems that we see after concussion. There's six different types of concussion. If you think about these, okay. all these six things as six interlocking circles. So you can have one of these problems, you can have all six of them. Hmm. But the six different types, the first type is cognitive or, think. you know, cognitive means thinking. We can see thinking changes, memory, attention, concentration, you know, and the actual type that we call that concussion is cognitive fatigue. So not only do we see cognition issues, but a lot of fatigue by the end of the day. The second type of concussion is a problem to a system called the vestibular system. Mm -hmm. That's the part of the brain that allows us, it begins in the inner ear and then there's all these pathways of the deep part of the brain. And that system allows us to stabilize our vision. We move our head. It allows us to interpret motion. It allows us to be in a grocery store, car ride, shopping center, party, dynamic exercise, anything that involves a lot of sensory integration, lights, noises, movement, people, yeah, or movement around you or you were moving around something. That system, because concussion is an energy problem, that system can decompensate. And when it does, the athlete will feel like this weird, slow, wavy, dizzy, foggy, kind of one step behind, detached, removed, disassociated, busy environments will bother them, et cetera, Mm -hmm. lights, noises, movements, that kind of stuff. That's an important one, and I'll get back to that. It's one of the more common ones that we see. The third type of concussion is ocular, so which means eyes. So your eyes have to work together as a team. It's a very complex neurological system. In fact, 60%, 60 to 70% of the cells in our brain are devoted to eye movement. Interesting. And so that system is the most complex neurological system that we have. So it would make sense that an energy problem in the brain would affect that system. Yeah. And that would involve people having a hard time having their eyes move together, follow a target, uh, converge, diverge, accommodate. There's a lot of different oculomotor functions that can be compromised as a result hmm. of this energy crisis that we see. Yeah. Uh, the fourth type of concussion is migraine, which by okay. definition is headache with nausea and or light or noise sensitivity. Typically, migraine headaches occur more commonly in the morning. Hmm. Um, and headaches associated with vestibular problems occur more commonly in the afternoon. Um, there's a lot of little crumbs that if you understand this injury like I do, you can follow these crumbs to figure out what's going on and get the right treatment for the right problem. But migraine is, you know, that's the one probably people are most common with. The fifth problem that we see is is neck issues, cervicogenic, you know, neck problems that we can see from head trauma. Uh, okay. And the sixth subtype is, is mood issues, anxiety, uh, a lot of anxiety, difficulty turning thoughts off, rumination, hyperanalytical, uh, panic, uh, 
sadness, hopelessness, yeah, depression stuff. Um, and think of these all as six interlocking circles. So there's a lot of sort of biology between these circles. For example, the same pathways in the brain that subserve the vestibular system subserves our, our, our sympathetic nervous system. So people that okay. have a vestibular problem will get anxious. Their, their thoughts go faster. Their heart rate increases. They feel this sort of arousal that's unpleasant to feel. People that have anxiety are more likely to have migraine. People that have oculomotor issues are going to have cognitive issues. People yeah. that have anxiety have cognitive issues. People that have anxiety have neck issues. So you can see how this might start with one of these circles. And if it's mistreated, it can spread to the other six circles pretty quickly. Well, and, and, and what's interesting is, um, you know, again, I, I can't remember if we talked about this when we started, but I played college football. Uh, and, you know, I can identify clearly at least two to three significant concussions, one of which I sustained in college. And as you're kind of walking through this list of those six interlocking rings, I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of had a little bit of that. Why don't you a walk bit of- me through, Ken? Uh, like, let's go through. And like, what did you yeah. experience when you got hit? Do you remember what you felt? Uh, I do. So, you know, the, the it's funny because you've, you've mentioned a couple things now that are making a lot of bells go off, but we were doing like the Oklahoma drill. So I was going up against our middle linebacker. I was a running back, um, had like a head on head collision and just felt really kind of woozy and off, right? Enough to where it was like I got pulled out of the drill. Can I, I define kinda, that a little better? You tell me if I'm yeah. right. So when you say that, it makes me, you feel one step behind, detached, disassociated, sort of disoriented slower. for sure. Um, that foggy, is the, that's the foggy term comes to mind. that we call yeah. foggy. And that is the vestibular system decompensating from the energy problem. So when that system mm-hmm. isn't working efficiently, it will literally feel like you're one step behind, detached, and sort of just so it's like taking a lot of NyQuil and waking up in the next morning. You just feel that haze, that foggy feeling. And that is literally at that moment is when your vestibular system decompensated and didn't work as efficiently. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, uh, to, to take that a bit further and I can't remember how long I got pulled out for. Um, and I definitely don't want, you know, I mean, we, a lot has changed since I played. Um, but what, what really kind of did me in is I think less than a week later, I was back on the field mm-hmm. and I kind of got horse collared from behind and I got my head driven into the turf and that experience was different. Like, I don't remember anything for the next minute, couple minutes. So that's and the, there was, that's the cognitive stuff that's going on there. Yeah. And, and, and the symptoms that kind of came out of that was one, I, you know, I watched myself back on tape and luckily someone pulled me out cause I clearly had no idea what was going on. But then, uh, you know, that, I mean, man, days, maybe a week. Um, you know, I couldn't read a book and get through a sentence without having to go back to where I was. That's very likely oculomotor. So that was re- yeah. it's very likely your eyes were, were not normal mm-hmm. that because it was engaged when you were trying to read. Uh, and mm. typically that's associated with like a frontal headache. You get really tired. You can't yep. focus. Math is harder. Science is harder. Um, yeah. Classes that have a lot of visual spatial kind of functions are, are more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's making me kind of like think through all the various symptoms. Um, and maybe it's because, and you mentioned this too, it's like, Hey, how quickly can we identify and start treatment it makes a big difference. The fact that maybe, um, I definitely returned too quickly and, you know, that initial impact didn't heal. I can heal tell and, you the good news is, is that you didn't have the same symptoms the second one as you did the first one. Hmm. Um, and so that would not indicate to me necessarily I'd have to evaluate you. Sure. But, you know, normally you can get in trouble with this pretty quickly if you're not recovered and get hit again. And then you go down that pathway further now, the good news is, is there's treatments for this. Like I can yeah. treat everything you just said that we actually have treatments for it. And that's mm. another misconception that people aren't aware that there's actual therapies for these problems, which there are. Yeah. Can we dive into that a little bit? Because I, I think and again, you know, I mean, to give you um, more context. So I was playing from like 2006 to 2010, you know, so when this happened, it was over 10 years ago. Um, and at that time, I think the treatment was, you know, rest, yeah. uh, you know, n- no contact, 
which I mean, that, that clearly makes sense. But I would love to kind of hear, you know, just like based on those initial explanations of what I was experiencing, like what are the sorts of treatments now that people who experience concussion could potentially use? So we actually have tests that we would run on you. So that first injury you had, yeah, I actually have a physical exam that I would conduct on you to see if there's a – I'd listen to your symptoms, get an idea of what's going on, and then I actually have a physical exam I could conduct on you to, to elicit – if there were problems coming from the vestibular system. Okay. And once hmm. we identify, once we identify what those problems are, you know, the first thing is, is when in doubt, send them out, you know, you don't put those patients back to play, yep. make sure they're seen by a specialist that has the right tools to look at this. We actually can quantify this and measure it. We can look at it and see it hmm. now. So with that being said, the treatment for a vestibular problem is actually rest is the worst thing you can do. Interesting. Because the way we treat that problem is by training it. Okay. Hmm. But because the vestibular system is linked in with the nervous system, it will make you feel anxious when I do rehab with you. And a lot of patients will start to avoid activities that produce symptoms. Like a grocery store, for example, is a great example of an environment that's very difficult for someone with a vestibular problem, a party, hmm. a restaurant, exercise, movement. They will yeah. get dizzy. They will feel foggy. They will get headache when they do those things. Just a bit of like sensory overload, sight sounds, a lot of. Correct. Huh. But the way you get better from that problem is by training it. So actually going into a grocery store is the right thing, but your nervous system is telling you not to do that. Hmm. Patients that don't get the right treatments and get told to rest, they start limiting those activities and then they lose outlets to get rid of stress and the stress will build up and up and up and up and up. And then that hmm. produce migraine. So interesting. And we treat migraine with activity and ex exercise. And, and so you can get in trouble with this injury lickety split if you don't get in the right pathway for treatment. Yeah. We just published a study in JAMA where we looked at all the factors that predict outcomes from concussion. And believe it or not, the biggest risk factors for having a longer outcome from concussion is history of car sickness, history of lazy eye, history of anxiety, history of migraine, being female. Mm -hmm. These are all risk factors that have a longer outcome, but the risk factor we found that pr best predicted poor outcome was if it took longer to get into our clinic. If you can get into our clinic, into our clinic within a week, your outcomes are, are like a quarter of the time it would take to recover if you don't come into treatment. I read that. And, and why is that? Is that because just because you get patients in the right treatment? It, yeah. And you got to make sure that <clears throat> you assess this injury properly so you know what's going on and then get them to the right treatment. So <clears throat> every one of those circles has different treatments for it. Hmm. And this is not about protocol, it's about process. And when I hear the, the concussion protocol, it sends shivers up my spine because it's not about protocol. Every case we see is different and every case has to be managed differently. And because of what you hear on TV about the protocol, everyone wants to stick to this one size fits all approach right. and it's not effective and it needs to be individualized. Hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, even for me, um, I, I guess I never thought about it in terms of an injury the same way you might treat, uh, you know, a, a more traditional, like physiological injury, right? Like pull your hamstring, like, Hey, there's, there's treatments and things that you can do to improve it. I felt like my experience was much more like, Hey, we just got to kind of wait this thing out no. and we'll continue to test you consistently to see when you get back to a, you know, uh, a baseline cognitive. I level. actually really, like the analogy of this being now look this is going to rub some people the wrong way and yeah but it's true it's like i look at this as, a, as an orthopedic injury like we've mm -hmm. gotten to a point now with our treatments like with a knee injury this is the type of knee injury you have this is the rehab we have to do to correct that problem this is how long you're going to take to be out of play and when you're recovered you're going to be safe to go back to play right that's exactly what we do with concussion now wow this is concussion this is the type of concussion this is the active and targeted approach we're going to take at treating it. This is your rehab mm -hmm. program, and this is how long you're likely to be out of play. We can, we can treat the injury in that fashion. And if you treat it effectively, we can mitigate the long-term problems from it. Yeah. And it's critical that patients and parents and athletes are aware that these, you know, these advances have occurred, which they have. Yeah. Well, and, and, and maybe just to take this one step further, you know, is it the sort of thing where you have a window of time where that treatment can be effective? Um, cause I imagine there's a lot of people that, you know, like me 
played 10, 15, 20 years ago, or were in the military or got in a car wreck or, you know, any other reason that someone might sustain a, a concussion, um, is there still an opportunity to do some of this rehabilitation or has that window kind of closed? It, there's no, it's not closed. Hmm. Um, we see patients. I just, I just had a busy clinic this morning and I saw an NFL guy that was injured about 18 months ago, kept playing through it. Um, and we were able to identify his problem today and we'll be able to treat it and he'll be normal when we're done with him and he'll, wow. he'll be okay. Um, it's not uncommon to see patients that have problems months out, even years out where we can identify where that's coming from and actually get them better. Um, hmm. this really is treatable. Um, there's, there's always reasons for people feeling the things they're feeling and it's our job as clinicians to identify where the aberrant signals coming from and then apply the right treatment to correct that problem. Yeah. And the great, great majority of the time we can do that. Now, can I tell you, we can treat everyone fully 100%. I'm not going to say that, Sure. but I feel that way. Every time I see a patient, there's never a patient. I don't feel I can treat fully. Hmm. I'm sure there's cases where it's happened. Um, yeah, but we'll do everything possible to get them better. Yeah. No, I, I think that's encouraging. Um, and, and you mentioned too, right? A lot of the conceptions, um, you know, that that people are aware of with regards to concussions, oftentimes uh, make their way to the general public by the NFL, right? So concussion protocol, you know, I think the other topic of interest over the last ten years plus has been this idea of of CTE. Um, you know, is that something that you would f say falls within that same realm of, hey, this is an injury that can be treated? Or is that kind of a completely different animal and it's worth, so I you think know, it, I think a lot differentiating of are, the two? I think a lot of people are confused by this construct. And, and yeah. I'll be honest with you, um, as someone who does this every day in my life and has devoted his entire career to studying this problem, it's confusing to me, too, hmm. because the science isn't clear on it. Um, we don't know if concussion in and of itself is what's causing that tauopathy and the protein buildup and things that are being seen. Hmm. We don't know if it's concussion plus X, Y, or Z, or we don't know if it's X, Y, and Z and not concussion. Yeah. And so the science hasn't evolved to the point where we really can fully determine cause and effect relationship to this. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it doesn't match my experiences because the great majority of people that leave our clinic are people that get better and we get them back to play safely and they look and feel great and they're not reporting problems after we get them back to play. So it's a little bit of enigma because I, I think that we need better diagnostic clarification for this construct. We need more science. Mm. Fortunately, that science is being done currently. Yeah. And the story is the scientific story is not written on this construct yet. You know, hmm. we have the, one of the largest studies ever done looking at a bunch of former NFL players and controls and seeing what the potential long-term effects or on behavior on neurological health there are from playing football. Mm -hmm. That study's ongoing. I don't have data to report on that yet. We're collecting it, yeah. but it's the most rigorously most rigorous methodology, methodologically controlled study that's been done in this space. And we're going to have answers very soon in terms of what the potential, I underscore the word potential effects of playing football are on neurological health. Yeah. But that study hasn't been done. And so we're left as clinicians to not have answers for our patients. Again, that same guy I talked to you about this morning that I saw, I was like, well, if I play one more year of football, what's my relative risk of inc increasing my odds of having neurological problems? And I'm like, I can't answer that for you. Hmm. And that makes people uncomfortable. But that's the reality right now. There's no one in the world that can answer that question. Yeah. What I feel is that the thing that the measure that the tools that we've developed to measure this injury are highly effective. Yeah. We can see if there's problems with patients. And fortunately, we found that we can treat those problems a great majority of time. And so what I'm hearing in the media doesn't correlate with my experiences with this injury because the, we, we see people get better from it. Yeah. And you don't want to be cavalier and put someone back to play if there's risks there. We just need better science to better understand these issues. And, and, and that science is not currently available. Got it. Yeah, I mean you know, as someone who played football, this is, this is clearly something I think about. And then I have, uh, you know, three young kids, two of which are boys, uh, one's four, one's two. So I feel like I have 
hopefully some time for the science to catch up and there to be more clarity. Um, you know, but I would be lying if I said like, wow, I'm, I'm, you know, now knowing, uh, what I know now I'm a little, you know, concerned as to whether or not it's in their best interest to let them play football. And again, for me, right. Uh, a sport that I love dearly and probably created a lot of opportunities for me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. Um, so, you know, what, what would you say to parents out there? Not that you need to be the one to convince them whether or not to play football, um, but like, what are the sorts of things they should take into consideration when, when making that decision? Like, are, are there resources you can point them to? Yeah. Um, um, you know, I actually have parents that will come, come here for me to evaluate their children to see if there's, we know there's certain risk factors for having longer outcomes from concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we know, you know, long story short, to answer your question, I, I'm a dad of four daughters. If I had a son, I'd let my son play football. Um, yeah. Without question. I think it's a great, there's so many benefits of sport for children uh, mm-hmm. in terms of physical activity and teamwork and all the things that you learned in football and applied to life. That opportunity exists for, for kids that play the sport. And, and right. like I said, we see football players every day here in our clinic and there's very few that walk out of here sick or not normal and not doing well. Hmm. I do feel it's a treatable injury and until proven otherwise, I, I don't think those patients are going to go on to have problems from from playing because we know it can be treated. Yeah. And so my advice would be, yeah, I think football is a great opportunity. But make sure if there's symptoms of concussion, be, be knowledgeable about that, be aware of it. You don't want to play through this stuff and make sure these kids get to a specialty clinic um, like at UPMC here where we can evaluate and treat the injury properly. Because the, the best way to prevent problems with, with concussion is – is to manage it effectively when you have one. Um, mm. And it can be fairly tacit and, you know, and, and a lot of kids don't even know they're, they are concussed. It's very subtle, some of these symptoms that can happen. Right. Um, but, yeah, my advice is uh, let's, I, I think sports are wonderful. I, I do have four daughters that play sports, and three out of four of them have had concussions, and, and we treated them, and they're doing great. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next. You know, I I know football, uh, rightly or wrongly, is often the the poster child for concussions. Um, But within like the realm of your practice and at UPMC, you know, I mean, is it truly it's like, hey, the majority of concussions that walk in the door from football or or concussions being sustained across a wide, diverse array of just sports and just general, you know, uh, everyday life? 60% of my patients are female. Hmm. females are more at risk to sustain a concussion and have a worse outcome from it. Interesting. There's migraine is a big risk factor for concussion and females are six times more likely to have migraine than boys. That's Hmm. likely the very reason why that happens. There's hormonal issues that we've shown to occur that pose some risk for females. Neck strength, their necks are not as strong as males. So car sickness is more likely to occur in females than males. Yeah. These are all risk factors. So that's why patient, girls are more likely to have concussions. Um, but, I, I mean, yes, we see a, far, a large number of football players here. You can expect, and according to our research, about one out of every 10 football players will have some symptoms of concussion mm-hmm. during the course of a of season, um, yeah. 10%. And, you know, female hockey is maybe the highest risk sport there is. Uh, oh, wow. Soccer. If you compare females to males in soccer and hockey, it's the same, you know, same sport essentially. And you, and you can compare, you know, it's apples to apples comparison. Females are much more likely to have concussion than males than in those hmm. sports. Um, so yeah, football, I mean, any sport where there's force and, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. So, you know, this can happen in a number of ways. Uh, for my girls, they're basketball players. It was back of the head off the court, you know, yep. for a loose ball every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in soccer, one of my girls got in soccer, you know, he got blasted from 10 yards or whatever. But this stuff happens and it happens across. It's not only sports either. It's slip and falls are very common. In right. Older folks, um, car accidents, obviously. This, mm-hmm. You can get domed in a number of ways, and we see it, unfortunately. A lot of people with a lot of different types of injuries. I have some very interesting stories about that whole thing, but uh, it's a fascinating job. Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and that's the thing, too. Like, I can think anecdotally about all the ways that I've knocked my head <laughs> over the years. Um, some certainly football, but some other, you know, just 
like I said, everyday life. Well, one of the things that we've kind of focused on so far is, you know, once you've sustained a concussion, best course of action. And if, if I'm not putting words in your mouth, it sounds like it's, uh, identification of a concussion as quick as possible is key to recovery. And then finding the appropriate treatment with a specialist, um, with someone like yourself. Um, yeah, being aware of the subtle symptoms of injury. And just one quick thing, you know. Yeah, please. Our research shows that on-field dizziness is six times more predictive than any other symptom in predicting worse outcome from concussion. Hmm. Um, and being dizzy is six times more predictive of poor outcome than losing consciousness. Can you believe that? Wow. Um, that I'm glad you brought that up. So if someone gets knocked out, does that inherently mean that there was a concussion? Yes. Or okay. Yeah, unequivocally, if you get knocked out, okay. you got a concussion. <laughs> yes. Got it. Uh, but also, if you have dizziness on the field, nausea, light sensitive, yeah. noise sensitive, headache, uh, fatigue, you know, uh, vision changes, feeling foggy or detached, one step behind, those are all clear signs that a concussion has occurred, and other mm. things can occur can cause that too. But like I said, when in doubt, send them out. And if there's been trauma and those symptoms are occurring, don't put them back to play. This study will be very interesting to you. We looked at <clears throat> at kids. We looked at a very large cohort of kids, I think around 500, 250 of whom had symptoms of concussion and mm-hmm. came out of play immediately once their symptoms occurred. Okay. And half the sample had symptoms of concussion and played only 15 minutes longer with those symptoms of concussion. The kids that came out immediately recovered in 19 days in terms of their concussion. The kids that continued to play for 15 minutes recovered in 44 days. Wow. So playing 15 minutes longer with having symptoms of concussion added almost a month of recovery. Do we know what that's attributed to? Because these systems that decompensate, the vestibular system, if that system decompensates and you overtax it, it can lead to migraine. It can lead to a lot of different things that add more time onto your recovery. It can further decompensate the system. And Hmm. so it's very important that to recognize this injury and to kick kids kids out of play immediately. Now those same kids that took longer to recover, if they receive treatments, they can get better much faster through the physical therapies that we've developed in the rehab. You know, we've developed rehab for all these problems. Yeah, And so you can actually, you don't have to take 44 months if you play 15 minutes or longer, but you need to be seen by a specialist who can treat this stuff and apply the right treatments for it. Yeah. I think that'll probably be eye opening for a lot of people. Um, the I'm thought that it can be, it can be rehabbed, right. And that there's an actual treatment and it's not just time. Yeah. No, um, with, with this injury, with the vestibular subtype, the ocular subtype and the migraine subtype, and even the anxiety subtype, we can actually treat this with with certain types of rehab and treatments like for vestibular therapy we have physical therapy i mean for vestibular problems we have physical therapy exercises that retrain that system mm-hmm. we actually have workouts that we can give patients that retrain that system you come see me i'm going to work you out even if you're having bad headaches we actually work people out to get them better Exercise treats this stuff and you just have to do it in a very targeted and prescriptive way. You got to exercise them correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even know if this is worth mentioning, but it's interesting. I, I felt like, again, that 2006 to 2010 timeframe, there was kind of a, a shift in perception that had happened um, with regards to rehabilitation uh, away from sheer, just, you know, rice and, uh, and rest um, and that it was actually beneficial to go in and attack the injury, quote unquote. Right. Right. So if you had some sort of like major contusion in your leg, right, rather than avoiding it and just giving it rest, like you're actually going to recover much quicker by going in. It might be more painful, um, but doing some dedicated work on that area and around it. And because of that, right, you would you would recover faster. This is kind of triggering that same it's aha like, moment I had back again, then. You kind of, you know, again, it's a great parallel, the orthopedic model of care. Hmm. Um, and it's not irony that I work in orthopedic surgery. I'm a neuro guy working in orthopedic surgery and I've worked alongside sports med. I'm in sports medicine. So I've worked alongside our sports medicine physicians and seen what they do in treating orthopedic injuries. And quite honestly, I've been doing this for 20 years now at UPMC yeah. and we're applying those same principles to concussion and we're, and we're proving it through randomized controlled trials and we can treat this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, it's a very similar model like you described. And 
yes, we do provoke symptoms to treat it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, both eye-opening and, and hopefully encouraging. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, a, a lot of what I've been asking you about today is, hey, from the moment that a concussion occurs, like, what can be done? Um, and I think you even said as much like the best prevention is either proper identification or, or proper management of the symptoms. Am I yeah. saying that correctly? Yeah. Um, you know, given your focus on um, the brain, neural pathways and all that, is there anything that you recommend uh, in terms of a, a best practice to kind of just optimizing brain function on the front end? So I would love to hear like, hey, you know, stay hydrated, that maybe that'll reduce your risk of concussion. Or if it's I like, actually oh, can describe to you a model that I think is very effective. So okay. So let's talk about, let me just go off beat here a little bit. So the migraine is a threshold problem. Okay. So okay. anyone that falls below this line will have a migraine. Anyone that's above it won't have a migraine. And that's hmm. the way neurological problems exist as thresholds. Alzheimer's disease is the threshold problem. Yeah. So people hopefully are up here and off the line with migraine. Okay. Right. There's five things that cause migraine in patients. And if you do these five things poorly, you will get a migraine guaranteed. Hmm. What they are is if you take naps and don't have a consistent sleep schedule. So if you nap or you sleep in two hours longer than you should, or go to bed two hours earlier, if you pick a bedtime and a wake up time and you don't nap during the day, you're going to stay up here off that line. If you nap, Interesting. you're going to go down here. Okay. Okay. The second thing that predicts migraine is if you're not exercising. Hmm. Third thing is if you don't eat three meals a day at the same times. Fourth thing is if you don't hydrate well. And the fifth thing is if you're stressed and, and have internal stress. People that don't express stress well, that they have this internalization thing where they hide stress really well. Hmm. Those are people that pop a migraine. So those five things also serve as a threshold for injury for concussion. So if you are stressed out to make the team, you're, you're not sleeping consistently, you're not exercising before training camp, you're sitting here, you get hit in the head, Yahtzee. Wow. If you're doing all those things really well, well and you get hit in the head, you don't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And so we, there's different thresholds for concussion that exists depending upon those lifestyle factors. And so think about training camp. When you went to training camp, yeah. Princeton, okay? Maybe, you know, your third man, third man on the depth chart mm -hmm. and you're stressed out about getting above to number one. Yeah. And you got internal stress. You don't want to show stress. You're just wearing it inside. You know, you're not vocalizing, you're not artic articulating it. You're just swallowing it because you don't want to show weakness. Let's say you took two naps the so two days before training camp started, or you you know you had to wake up at five a.m. when you've been waking up at eight a.m. all su all summer. Okay. Yeah. Let's say that it's one hundred and one degrees out and you can't hydrate well enough, and no matter how well you hydrate, you're going to be dehydrated. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that you skip breakfast. Those factors all put someone right above that line, and you get hit in the head. You're going to go over that line much easier than if you can do these other things. So there are ways to prevent it from happening. And those things I just mentioned are things we've learned very clearly predict who gets a concussion and who doesn't. Oh, wow. You know, it's funny. The, the, the themes that keep popping up, the more I do this podcast, uh, sleep and stress come yeah. up more than any other and, and in ways to like I did not anticipate that our conversation would kind of go here today and that those two factors maybe you know you would identify as having a potential impact on increasing your likelihood for a concussion uh, but those those two things continue to pop up time and time again um, which I, I just well, find I can to be tell you that stress plays a huge role on your bodily functions. There's mm -hmm. a lot of physiology behind stress and physiologic difficulties. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of relationship between stress and stress and physiologic difficulties. Yeah. You know, if you don't treat stress properly, you're going to have belly stuff. You're going to have headaches. You're going to feel tired. You're going to get dizzy when you stand up quickly. You're going to get lightheaded. You're going to have cognitive issues. You may have vision changes. There's a lot of things that can occur with stress. You know, it's funny. You're, we're literally, and I, this always seems to happen. We're, we're talking on a day where I've, I've been up since like three and I've probably had one of the more stressful work days 
<laughs> that I've had in a while. Right. Um, so it's just it's just the irony uh, is is too much to notice. In other words, you have all those things going on right now. Is what you're saying? So I'm just avoiding contact like the plague today. <laughs> yeah. Let's put it Probably that good way. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is there anything um, that you're interested in? And I get I get now that we're kind of venturing a little bit away from the concussion discussion. Um, boy, no pun intended. Um, is there anything like like nootropics, right? When you start thinking about human optimization, that's something that is really gaining a lot of steam and a lot of interest. Um, Are those things that your practice is paying attention to at all? We haven't learned of any supplements, nutritional advances that that prevent this from happening. Hmm. And quite honestly, I, I don't see any relationships. You know, we don't delve into that as much, you know. Sure. And just like orthopedics, maybe that's the next frontier looking at some of these things. But um, no, to answer your question, we haven't found any relationship between that and thresholds or problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was interested in is, um, I believe it's a recent study that you conducted and it, it kind of got my, my wheels spinning around some of the testing that you're able to do nowadays. Um, it was a test, I, I believe it was like biomarkers in saliva. We're, Does we're, that sound accurate mean, to be able to? We're oh, doing yeah, a please. lot of work in that space. Yes, we're, we're, you know, everyone wants a biomarker for concussion. Hmm. I'll be honest with you. We, we've been looking for a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease for four decades and haven't found it yet. So hmm. don't think there's anything around the corner. Yeah. Um, but we are looking at, there's a whole panel of biomarkers that we're examining to see if they're effective at predicting concussion and outcomes and, and, uh, We've yet to find one. In fact, all these, you know, the phys- pathophysiology I talked about earlier, we don't see that on a CT scan or MRI. There's no mm. imaging modality that we can use to show concussion at this point in time. Right. So there's nothing. We have to measure this through other ways. And we've developed tests like the impact test, which is computerized neurocognitive tests that can measure cognition following concussion, you know, baseline testing, that kind of stuff. Yep. It's very effective and very helpful. We've created an exam called the vestibular ocular motor screening exam that that we can use a physical exam to measure this stuff. Hmm. But right now, there's nothing, you know, uh, from a biomarker standpoint that's ready for prime time. Yeah. Again, you know, one of the things that now I, 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 I'm just like almost embarrassed to say this. Um, I remember the mentality was such when I was playing that when we were going to go in and do like our baseline testing, Right. The kind of like the word on the street was like, hey, sandbag it a little bit. Sure. You know, lower, lower your baseline so that once you take this test, you know, God forbid when you need to, you can get back on the field the next so, game. Even though you went to Princeton, you weren't very smart because, no. first of all, that would be something that would be kind of stupid to do. But beyond that. Um, you can say idiotic. Yeah. I get it. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. Um, but we actually have measurements inside the tool that show someone that's doing that. Hmm. And we have studies that prove that we can, you, you, it's very hard to do that and not be picked up on the test. Hmm. There's statistically, we know exactly where someone should be. And there's little, there's areas that people try to fake bad on that. We, it actually shows in the report that they're faking bad. Raises a red flag. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is it, it literally will get flagged and then the test, the baseline's invalid, and we always have a higher standard if we don't have a baseline to put someone back to play. Yep. So you just kind of screwed yourself because you can actually probably have to do better than you, you would have had to do in the first place. Right. So it's not real smart. And we've shown that the studies have shown that we're up to 80 to 90% effective at picking up on sandbagging. So interesting. Yeah, it's it's hard to cheat the test and us us not know about it. Yeah. Well, that, that's good to hear. And again, I think, um, you know, part of it is just being a, a stupid 18-year-old kid. Part yeah, of it was I, just, I, I don't think there. there was as much awareness right. around repercussions and, you know, the, the magnitude of, uh, you know, what a concussion could do if untreated and then played through. Yeah, the um, cool thing is, is hopefully athletes get in this mindset. Okay, like if they, 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 if they have knee pain, and they're wondering what the hell's going on, right? I've got knee pain. I need to get this evaluated. Like people aren't scared to do that because they want to know what's the effects. Like, what am I going to do to myself if I keep playing? Is it going to get hurt worse, right? Yeah. Like 
liken that to concussion care, like come in and get evaluated if you're concerned. There's, there's things we can do. And I'm the most aggressive guy you'll ever meet about getting back to play. I'm not fearful of this. I feel it's mm. treatable. I feel we can get kids back to play safely. I, I'm very aggressive at getting patients back to play if I know they're safe to do so. I'm, I'm the yeah. biggest fan of sports there is. And it's all about getting kids back to play. That's the goal. And, yeah. you know, and we're not going to put you in dark rooms and stuff you in a closet to get you better. We're going to actually actively treat it. We're going to rehab it. Yeah. And so I'm, as this takes hold with all the research that's being done and the awareness and, and that people are aware that if this is new information for people, I hope it gives them confidence that, you know, look, we're, we're, we're actually treating this pretty effectively now and, and report your injury and you're going to actually prevent poor outcomes from happening. Yeah. Just like you would a knee injury. Yeah. No, I, I'm one glad to hear that, uh, again with, you know, three young kids and they're starting to play sports, um, and whether or not they play football, right. I mean, if you're, if you're being an active person and you're engaging in a sport where, like you said, you know, bodies are moving quickly, um, there's a the potential for, uh, Correct. concussions to happen. Um, but I also don't think the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, uh, putting them in a bottle and protect bubble and protecting them from everything is, is any better. In fact, I would believe that's worse. So it's kind of like well, if you, weighing the risk reward. If you listen to my talk earlier about thresholds, people that get put in a bubble and aren't allowed to do things, they're highly anxious people and they're going to be sitting right above that line. So yeah. your risk of injury is going to be much higher um, than someone that's playing football and not having that bubble. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you. This is this has been an, uh, an incredibly, hopefully eye-opening um, and hopefully uh, inspiring conversation for a lot of folks, especially if they've either dealt with a concussion, um, you know, or just are concerned about, uh, you know, what are the long-term effects and what is the treatability of it if, if they or a loved one ever sustains one in the future. Um, I guess, you know, it, for those who do want to find more information, you know, where where can I point them? We have a very good layperson website that outlines some of the things we talked about and is good information on there. It's it's www.rethinkconcussions.com. Hmm. Um, and we called it Rethink Concussions because it's there's a lot of, you know, we try to dispel the myths that are out there yeah. on that site. And there's a lot of really cool information about, you know, our clinic and patient care and, and you know, vignettes, clinical vignettes and cases that we've seen and treated and research and all the things that go along with a good academic program. So that would be the site I'd recommend to go to. There's a lot of really good information there. Oh, excellent. Well, perfect. Uh, Dr. Collins, this has been uh, a really good conversation and uh, thank you for making the time. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Ken, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Dad, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> all righty. Take two. Here we are. <laughs> Here we go again. Uh, we're starting over because our first first take was pretty low energy. Yeah, we, we just kind of <laughs> <laughs> had a very boring conversation for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we were we're all sick. We've been battling it for a week, and we were basically just commiserating. And then I think halfway through, we realized <laughs> we weren't talking about the podcast. We were just complaining about being sick. <laughs> By we, I mean me. I was doing a little bitching and moaning, but staying positive. Staying positive. Staying positive. Um. I actually really enjoyed listening to this one back. And now that's not to say that I don't enjoy listening to some of them back, but yeah. this one, I like found myself listening to it. I was like, Oh wow, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Oh, I forgot about that. There's a lot of information. Yeah. Well, and it's just, um, and it's a topic that's, that is especially important to you. It is especially important to me because I do think about it. Mm -hmm. I, well, and so maybe I should expand on that. Like I, my late twenties, you know, started getting like brain fog tired, had trouble remembering things. And I couldn't help. There was all this, you know, commotion going on about CTE and brain injuries from mm -hmm. football. And like anyone, I was like, oh man, like maybe I got some of that going on. Now I'm like, well, you just weren't sleeping. You're super stressed. Yeah. You were eating mushrooms, which you're allergic to. <laughs> I was eating all sorts of, yeah, I was <laughs> eating almonds by the handful, which I found out I was allergic to. Mm -hmm. Um, so clearing up most of those things, things have gotten yeah. much better. Yep. So less worried now, but yeah, no, I mean, I think anyone who's sustained concussions, you'd be like, Oh boy, yeah. how's this going to affect me long-term? I know. Interesting to hear that it's more, you're more susceptible as a woman to get concussions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. due to your weaker ne neck. <laughs> <laughs> due to your <Nets>. weak neck. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, I don't know how the feminists are going to think about that one, but yeah, that was, that was surprising to me. I think he said something like 60% of all patients yeah. that walked through his door female. Yeah. I thought when he was talking about how soccer or um, how like different sports have more concussions, I thought it would be soccer because of the um, headbutting to the ball. Yeah. Headbutting head- to the ball. Yep. No, I think that's the, uh, <laughs> Head that's to the, the ball. That's the actual term. The heading, yeah. the header. Sure. Headers, yeah. I like headbutting to the ball more, actually. <laughs> I think that is, though. I think especially, I think for youth soccer players. Yeah, like a mishit would be. Right. Like they haven't, nece- they haven't been like taught how to do it the right way. I also a think. Soccer ball is not like soft. New. I also <laughs> think some of it, too, is like, you know, I think he said this, like, but kids just get kicked by a soccer ball in the head at a short yeah. distance. Like that thing, it's yeah. packing some punch. I know. Uh, but I was surprised to hear that 60%, you know, that come through the door are female. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, people get concussed. That's the other thing too. It's not I wonder if it has specific. something to do with the fact that women might be more likely to like fess up to having an injury like that. Like maybe a man would try to like. Oh, that's really interesting. And women are like, no, I'm hurt. I'm going to get this fixed. Yeah. You're probably right. I don't know. Well, no, about. I mean, look, I mean, like there's very like, you know, football. I didn't tell the story on this podcast. I feel like I told it on one about the baseline, how we used to try and have like a low baseline no, you test. Did. You told it on this. Did I tell it on this one? Yeah. Um, and he was like, you're dumb. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you under Princeton, but you're dumb. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that basically was what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Almost verbatim. All right. Well, you made your point. You said it twice. We got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, like I was trying to hide it. Yeah. It's so dumb. It's dumb. But yeah, no, you're probably right. A lot of males probably don't want to report it because they don't want to miss time. You know, yeah. they're like, oh, I have my my 12 football games a season. I don't want to be out for two of them or whatever it's going to be or whatever they think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not good. Not good. Not, not good. good, kids. Um, it's wild now that their tests can detect that, though. If what do you mean? Like Now, if like the baseline t- or the tests that you have to take in the beginning of the season, or I don't know when you take it, whatever. Yeah. But now he said that the test can like detect whether you're trying to fudge it. Right, not, right, 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 right. Which I'm sure wasn't the case back when you were taking them. Probably not. Probably didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just honestly though, it, it, it sounds crazy because it was not that long ago. We, <laughs> it was there, a long time ago. It was like 15 years ago. Uh, oh, sorry. You're talking about Oh, football? man. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, a long, it's a long time ago. It's I guess. I guess. Yeah, like I said, it's a long time ago. Yeah. But we really did not know much. Yeah. If the medical community did, maybe that's a whole other conversation. But as players, we didn't. It was more just like, yeah. uh, the stupid inconvenience. But wasn't there like I'm going to have a headache for a few days. There was a kid on your team that they like made stop playing because he had gotten like 17 concussions. Or oh, a bunch crazy, of them. Right? Yeah. And I'm sure you talk to any person on any college football team, any they professional team, they all, they all, yeah, they all have someone. Um, Typically right. men with weak necks. You know, I mean, like, look, you knew like boxers. Yeah. All the weak neck men. That's but you know, I wasn't, didn't fall in that camp. So I wasn't worried about it. Oh my God. But like everyone knows like the punch drunk boxer, like you knew eventually yeah. there were issues with getting hit in the head. But I think, you know, the thought was, it's like, oh, you get your bell rung. That's just part of the game. You know? Yeah. Like people are saying shit like that from a very young age. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> no, I don't like it at all. It's terrible. Um, but that's just how it was. It was just different. People didn't know. Yeah. I mean people know I, my, now. My family knew. They didn't let my brothers play football because they didn't want them getting their brains rattled. No, they didn't want them getting hurt. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, but it's like your dad had like the inside track on like concussions <laughs> and like brain trauma. He just didn't want him playing football. Yeah. Okay. Disagree. Agree to disagree. Okay. Agree to disagree. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, you threw me off. Sorry. Um, but I thought there was a lot of really interesting things that came from this. I think the most interesting thing that I took from this is that nowadays they treat rehabbing this, like you said, like you would treat, you know, I think you said an orthopedic injury, mm-hmm. um, you know, a strain, a muscle pull, like now I'm way oversimplifying it, but I guess like the broader point being, it's like, this can be, if identified correctly, this can be treated, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be rehabilitated. Yeah. Which I, again, 
I guess not so long ago or long ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. I don't think we were doing that. I think it was just rest. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. I thought it was wild that you can use exercise to treat um, concussions. I think it's certain types. Yeah. But that like, was like another any type thing. of that. I just thought that was crazy that that would be like a prescribed recovery plan. Yeah. I think, I think what it comes down to is like, it really depends, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like it's also cool. He was able to identify that you probably got two different types of concussions in that week yeah. period where you thought you got two. Yeah. Just from like a simple explanation of your. Right. And symptoms. I don't definitely didn't think like, Oh, what form of concussion is this? I know a concussion. Yeah, concussion like, oh, back man, then, I got right? a concussion. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm going to go sit in a dark room for his, a week. History is going to be so hard tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know. It's, it's crazy. Um, the other thing though, that I thought was really interesting too, is that (laughs) what history is going to be so hard tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If I went, um, it's a whole nother podcast, this kind of relationship between the five things that kind of put you at a higher risk of getting migraines Mm -hmm. also put you at a higher risk of getting concussions. Yeah. Again, it's just like it, this stuff is not hard. Wait, in what terms- were they again? It was being a girl having car sickness. Yeah. Can I also say that was my favorite thing? It was like, <laughs> it was like, uh, getting dizzy, car sickness, having a weak neck, being a woman. <laughs> like he didn't mean to say it like that, but it just, yeah. the way it came out, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Um, but no, I think like for the migraine stuff, it's like if you are someone who has an irregular sleep schedule and you nap, if you're someone who like does not like handle stress well or get your stress out. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's five, I had them written down, but again, like it just kind of comes down to generally to give yourself the best chance. Like the stuff is really straightforward. Yeah. It's like, you need to sleep, you need to handle stress and you need to generally be healthy. You know, like this, and you need to definitely not be a lady. <laughs> and you, yeah, try if you can help it not be a lady. <laughs> He's gonna listen to this back. And be like, I can't share this with my <laughs> patients. This is terrible. Um, but no, again, and I, but I, I thought, like, you know, to go back to the female piece, I think the media at least portrays it as like football, 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 hockey, hockey, hockey. Yeah. Which again, like, not completely incorrect, but it's like people get concussions for any sorts of reason. Yeah. Car accidents, a car branch, accidents, a branch falling out of a tree falling. hitting you. Yeah. <laughs> classic branch falls out of a tree. <laughs> no, we were on vacation a couple months ago and my mom and I were checking out the beach and this tree had huge seeds or nuts in it. And oh, one yeah. fell like five feet from me. It would have killed me if it hit me. How big was the seed? It was like the size of a softball. Don't you remember them? I mean, they weren't oh, there. You're being listener. visual. Yeah. I see. Yeah. T- 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 what kind of tree was it actually? <laughs> I don't know. I have no, I forget. I know I asked at the time. Coconut type? No, it wasn't size? as big as a coconut. It was like softball size, maybe like in between a baseball and a softball. Hmm. But I was like, that's unsafe. Yeah. It was yeah. Quick. Concussion. Yeah. Concussion. And you would have been wrong to just sit in a dark room. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> um, but no, I think, you know, like, look, this, this, conversation is probably going to be really interesting for the person who's like either concerned about this mm-hmm. or they're going to find this at a time when they need it. Someone in their family just got a concussion. And they're mm-hmm. like, shit, like, what do we do? Yeah. I think it's amazing now that there are, and what would be interesting too is to know like how many other practices are there? Cause you know, we, we technically live within driving distance of UPMC. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a long trip. Um, you know, like just around the country, like, are there like a bunch of these places who now have like experts who could properly diagnose you and get you the appropriate treatment? You would hope so. I'm sure it'll, it'll continue to get better. Um, but it is just interesting to see how much things have changed. Totally. Oh, something I wanted to talk about. Uh, and I know we're going a little long here, but I thought it was very intriguing that he said, look, we don't have answers to a lot of these questions right now. He's like, but the work is being done and we're probably going to have answers to a lot of these questions very soon. Yeah. So crazy. Very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I mean, look, I'm not like so crazy about football that I'm like, oh, my boys are going to play no matter what. Yeah. Like I, I would just want what's best for my kids. 
Like right. they're not in a situation where like their only way out of a bad situation is a football scholarship. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so it'll be nice. Like hopefully over the next five, 10 years, like you get that information back and it's like, okay, like now we have something to really make a decision based off of, you know? Yeah. Or maybe they just are, you know, great pitchers and we don't even have to worry about this and I can just retire when they sign that big major well, league contract. Get concussions in baseball. Oh yeah. We should just hide them from the world basically i think that's what he said to do right yeah just hide your children that's what i took from it yeah <laughs> that's the thing though it's like you can't you can't protect yourself from everything it's like if you want to be like a participant in the world yeah it's like you, there's inherent risk everywhere falling off a horse yeah you know what i mean like there, name it like there's just working outside on a ladder like there's like anything you want to do comes with some level of risk so it's just like what are you comfortable with right yeah you're not wrong i don't know Unless you feel differently. No, I agree. Yeah. <sighs> Should we wrap this up? Let's wrap it. Get some sleep. Much needed. <laughs> yes. Okay. Please. Awesome. Another good episode in the books. Uh, actually, next episode, fantastic one on sleep. So uh, exciting. I don't want to give too much away, but this is a really good one. It's a real snooze fest. Yeah. The sleep doctor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You've got some good stuff today. <laughs> good good material out of you alright everybody well thank you for listening we will be back next week hopefully completely healthy more energy yeah <laughs> bring, to, bring back to you a better run up by my wife episode alright thanks everybody bye bye